What's your best tip for treating the frontalis? The first thing is you've got to assess each, each patient individually and you've got to start by putting the areas where you don't want to inject. That's probably the easiest way not to mess up um, is, to, is to start out by deciding where you aren't going to inject. And that normally makes it much easier to decide where you are going to inject. We actually have a great download on this, which you can get in the link down below. Um, but essentially, it's that safety margin lower down, so you don't cause a brow ptosis about two centimeters from the orbital rim. And that should prevent most heaviness. It's more complex than that, so do get the download. Um, and um, that, that's, that's step one. You also want to decide where it's going to be a waste. So if there's an aponeurosis there and you can see there's no muscle, don't waste your toxin injecting there. By the time you've drawn on all the areas where you don't want to inject, there's usually a relatively small area where you do want to inject, and that makes things a lot easier. Um, the second really important thing I suggest you do is think about your treatments as a journey. Don't, don't, you don't have to listen to anyone who says it's all to be done in one session. I mean, you can get to that point when you've been injecting the same patient for two or three cycles. You'll know exactly where to inject that patient and you shouldn't be following them up every single time. But on the first time you meet a new patient, if they're, particularly if there's something atypical about their forehead, expect to do it in stages. And if you're going to do it in stages, the first step is you make your best guess, but you leave room for adding more, improving your results. Because if you try and get it all right in one, you're a bit more likely to cause an overtreatment. So that's loss of an eyebrow arch or a ptosis. And there's just fewer options at that point. It's better if you leave room for a top up than if you're trying to then correct a side effect because you've tried to do it all in one go in your first treatment. When you're treating the master, if you get a little bit superior and a little bit medial, then you can affect the rosaurus muscle. And that causes sometimes an even more upsetting asymmetry of smiling. And that, that's basically because you're relaxing a little muscle that pulls the corner of the mouth uh, when you do a big smile. So what can we do to avoid that? So, yeah, one of the problems I realized with this is if, if you Google um, master reduction Botox pattern or injection points for toxin, you get a very common description that if you actually look at the lines, which well, I'm sure we can get up on the screen for you, um, you'll see that the line that is often used draws a line um, right to the oral commissure. And if you look at the top kind of right-hand side of where that line is inferior to it, you're actually very close to the insertion point of Resorius. And I know from training clinicians that um, when you see them in practice trying to implement these things, it's only half a centimeter to centimeter different, and you're right in the Resorius. So I don't like using that line. In fact, I use a different line, which is to really line up with the mental crease. So you're treating the lower third of the master muscle, but my boundary is the mental crease, and that takes you away from that insertion point of Resorius, which I think is likely to reduce the number of side effects of this smile of the smile being affected with a toxin treatment in master. So when you're injecting the masseter, what do you do to reduce that risk? Apart from using a different boundary, which means I'm less likely to inject near that insertion point of Resorius, the other thing that's really important when injecting the masseter to avoid that particular side effect, as well as another side effect, is to make sure that you're deep enough. So if the, the actual resorius muscle is inserted into the fascia around the master. So it's relatively superficial. Um, and so if we make sure we're deep, that's the second thing you can do. So we need to be inferior to it and too deep to actually hit the resorius is, is an effective way of reducing that risk. One of the things I also always say to trainees when I'm with them is try and learn the face in such a way so that as you move your needle in different angles and positions, you can you you know what the outcome of injecting there is going to be. So as in what what you're incrementally getting towards. So if you're injecting toxin around the eyes, for example, 
if you're injecting very superficial, you may the outcome may, may be that you get less effect from your toxin, um, but your bruising risk will be less. If you go a little bit deeper, what's going to happen there? You're going to be touching the surface of the muscle. That might be closer to causing a bruise very near the surface, so you're going to be more effective. That's probably a good place to put it. What happens if you keep going? Go through the muscle. So underneath the muscle, the fat pad, you're now getting close to the origin of zygomaticus major, and you now know at that point you, you may get away with it, but at the same time you've got a higher risk of affecting zygomaticus major and causing an asymmetrical smile. You know, all the way in, you might touch the bone. What's that going to do? Well, you're going to be miles from orbicularis oculi, probably not going to decrease the smile lines. You're very close to zygomaticus major, and therefore you're, you're going to waste your product or cause a side effect. So that way of trying to weigh up at each point what you're likely to get in terms of probabilities, in terms of outcomes, um, is a very good way of understanding anatomy, anatomy in the face. Well, the, the procerus muscle is, the, probably the main thing to know about it is it's hugely variable. So um, don't get into the habit of just injecting the same number of units every single time you treat the procerus because unless it's the same patient, the chances are you're wasting it sometimes, maybe under-treating on, on other occasions. And um, this is because it's sometimes so small that it's basically absent. I can't see any downward movement. And I effectively say, clinically, there's no procerus muscle. And on a small percentage of patients, it's actually the dominant muscle. And this is, this is really interesting to see because it's very different. But you just get that crease that runs over the top of the nose. And it's a complete downward pull. And sometimes very little in terms of corrugator action. So those patients just have a, have a different focus in terms of the dosage that you put in. You might be putting in 12 units in the procerus and very little into the corrugator. But you just need to identify that at the beginning. So there's lots going on with these muscles. How can you tell without peeling someone's skin off which is which? Um, well, the first is just watch them move and ask them to do those movements. So a lot of patients actually can't consciously control all these movements. So a little trick is to either show them a mirror or do the movement to them themselves. Now, this doesn't work if you've had your own treatment, which is an issue for many <laughs> clinicians. Um, but a lot of patients cannot. The other thing that's quite interesting is that some patients can't frown when they're lying down. It's almost like they're in a relaxed state. <laughs> and you, when they're 45 degrees, I can't get them to frown. I need them to sit up and then suddenly then they can do the, do the movement. Um, but otherwise, do the expression to them and ask them to mirror you. And you can get them to do most of the expressions that way. Um, and look at each area on its own. Because there's a lot of movement going on when someone starts moving their face. Just look at that one area. And step two would be to actually feel it. If you're not sure, see if you can feel the vector. So put your your... Uh, finger on the area that's being treated and see which direction your finger moves and that can help you identify the vectors a bit better um, because you can actually feel the pull in these different directions to have a bit of toxin as well as the filler yeah yeah well okay so um but that aside you should ask your patients to move and yeah, the, the trick is to try and get a more a more natural movement because if you get patients who do special, I call it the special toxin testing phase, it's not often not natural at all. So you'll often, new practitioners will often get people coming back for top-ups um, saying, I've still got movement. And you ask them to do the movement, for example, frown, and they do this. And that's essentially using orbicularis oculi right. to recreate the frown muscle, the frown line. So they they are they they want to make sure they're getting good value for money. They want to make sure they're getting a good result. Fair enough. And they go into the mirror and they they use every muscle they can possibly 
recruit to make sure that there's that they've tested everything well and they'll eventually get some movement and then they think they need a top up and the inexperienced injector will will top them up and then wonder why things haven't changed and it's because it's not a natural phase so when you assess the patient you should firstly educate them about that but also you yourself should try and get them to express natural natural movements so um little smile you know look a bit irritated look cross but don't but you don't have to do some extreme extreme treatment frontalis muscle is probably the hardest area to treat when you first start injecting now like anything if you're super experienced it might be easy but in the beginning the first 18 months or so of injecting um, it's the area that confuses the most number of people and there's a number of reasons for for this Um, one is that it's highly variable not just in terms of the anatomy between individuals there are are really big differences some people have small foreheads that is so cool some people have long foreheads. You get muscles that look like two separate plates and muscles that look like just one plate. Um, you get in men, for example, the frontalis muscle often goes right up higher into the beyond the hairline or where the hairline should be, but it recedes. But you, you can see it's a different shape in men. Um, you also are going for different results. So if you think about the difference between a man and a woman in terms of the aesthetic result you might go for, um, with usually are trying to lift eyebrows in women. You're trying to create a nice feminine arch. But if you create a feminine arch in a man, it looks a bit sinister, unfortunately, or just a bit weird. You know, there's something odd about it. Um, Gary Glitter, you know, Joseph Fritzl, those guys don't look so warm and cuddly. And uh, they've got very arched eyebrows. And there's something about that. So um, we need to we have different aesthetic goals for different patients, but also wildly different anatomy between patients. And you need to learn a set of principles that allow you to treat any forehead, not a set of a, a simple injection pattern that someone tells you you can apply to any forehead that you come across, because that is simply never going to work. Is it a common area to get side effects? Well, yes. Well, not only is it highly variable, but that's one of the reasons why side effects are a bit more common, which is that we were going for these different outcomes. And for example, if you did a, a more masculine treatment pattern, you might get no lines on the forehead, but you're going to drop a, a female's eyes. And they would call that a side effect. You know, I've got a brow ptosis. Um, so that's that's one of the reasons it's tricky. But the, the other key thing about the frontalis muscle is that we're always trying to only partially treat it. There are very few people that you completely obliterate the whole muscle with. So there's always some movement. And that some movement is required to support the eyebrows. And if you overtreat the middle, you get a medial brow ptosis and a lateral brow lift, that's Spock brow. If you overtreat laterally, in theory, you could, get, you could lose the arch of the eyebrow and still have movement in the middle and look a bit sad. Um, if you overtreat the whole lot, you just look very tired uh, as your eyebrows are settled and you actually cause something in the wrong patient if you've got the type of skin that rolls straight from the forehead all the way onto the onto the eyelids, you can you can almost look like a bilateral brow to eyelid ptosis, even though if you look carefully, it's not. So plenty of side effects um, in terms of aesthetic complications, and they all come from using a blanket approach, either too much toxin on everyone or the same injection pattern on everyone that you meet. And that's why these nuances of how to decide how much and where to place product uh, make a big difference. But to do that, you've got to understand the underlying muscle. 